If you are a business owner, a content creator, or a person with a message to share with the world, I want to help you share it. When I started my podcast, I had no idea what I wanted to do. But what I did is I turned on a microphone and started talking and talking about the things that I cared about, talking directly to the people who I wanted to hear it helped me figure out what I wanted to do in this world. It helped me find my purpose and it helped me reach my audience. And now I'm creating my first course to teach you how to do that too. I'm so excited to be hosting a podcast masterclass on September 29th, where I will be sharing how to start a podcast and market it to your audience. If you want in, make sure to check out www.catdelcarmen.com dot com slash podcast masterclass to sign up and be the first to know about all the details about my podcast marketing course. I hope to see you there and I'm so, so excited about how your message is going to change your life and your audience's life. What is up, y'all? My name is Kat Del Carmen, wife, mama, and go freaking getter. It took me 10 years to finish college, 20 jobs to build a six-figure career, and all of that led me to starting my own business and leaving that behind. All my setbacks have helped me gain the confidence I need to think bigger and create the life of my dreams. If you have an idea that you want to pursue and fear is stopping you, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Follow That Fear podcast, a show dedicated to empowering you to follow that fear, pursue what is calling you and take it one step at a time. What's up, y'all? I am so excited for today's episode and today's guest. This woman is so badass, and I just cannot wait for you to hear all the conversations we had about her and her experience, what her thoughts are on imposter syndrome, gentrification. We talked about call-out culture. I mean, we really talked about a lot of things. But before I get into the episode, I want to remind you that if you have taken anything away from any episode on the follow that fear podcast it would mean so much to me if you could take a moment to screenshot this episode on your phone or any episode and share it on your instagram stories share it on facebook share it with friends it would mean so so much this is how podcasts grow and if you don't share then this podcast isn't growing so thank you so so much i appreciate it ahead of time i don't take your time for granted all right now let's get into today's episode so today i'm so honored to have gina mariko rosales on this podcast gina is a filipino japanese american she's an events enthusiast self-proclaimed efficiency nerd and nonprofit advocate she is the founder and owner of make it mariko events as well as the co-founder and event producer of the well-known undiscovered sf creative night market in soma 
Prior to founding Make It Mariko, Gina was the head of marketing events at Google X and the self-driving car team. Gina's mission in life is to curate magical, meaningful moments for the community while amplifying the voices of creatives of color, especially through her nonprofit, Pinaista. I cannot wait for you to learn all about Gina, what she does, how she serves her community, and a lot about her experience and how she got to where she is. I'm so excited to introduce you to her. I hope you enjoy the episode. Without further ado, here you go. Gina, tell us about yourself. Tell us about a little bit about like how you grew up and how it's kind of like gotten you to the place you are today. So thanks so much for having me. I love just like talking and meeting other P9s and just like folks who are just out here trying to trying to inspire people is what we need. Um, so I'm a Bay Area girl, born and raised. I grew up in this little skater town called Pacifica, where I was like grew up in the back of the valley, not like the Asian side. So I was like one of the only Filipinos in some of my friend groups to the extent that people would be like, yeah, you know, Gina, the short Filipino girl, which you like totally could not say in Daily City or <laughs> other space. So I grew up kind of like not having a ton of uh, Filipino or Asian friends until I went to high school in San Francisco and then like Berkeley. So then I started like, you know, delving into my Filipino and Japanese side because I'm part Japanese too, hence the the Mariko. Um so born and raised, I started working in nonprofits, actually. That's like how I got started in events was working in, I ran a dance nonprofit and I was the executive director. So I was like working nonprofits, a lot of youth work, then went, started working at Google because I needed like a quote unquote real job to start saving money, right? Because I was making nothing. And I ended up working at Google for like seven years, which I totally did not anticipate. Like I thought it was going to be like a one-year contract. Maybe I'd get converted, stay for a little bit, save some money, but ended up staying a really long time. But I got super more exposed to events there, started doing culture events, started doing corporate events, started getting into marketing and PR events, like just because. And then after that was really inspired um, by a, a chain of events that happened in my life. So I started Making Mariko. So my main job right now is um, I'm the founder and owner of Making Mariko Events. Um, and that's like just led me into so many different amazing communities that I'm now really proud to be a part of, namely um, the Undiscovered SF Filipino Night Market is an event that I co-founded. And now Pinayista, which is this beautiful, just Pinay's in the hustle community. That is so beautiful. First question for you. How did you, tell me about that pivot from Google to Mariko. Totally. And which is so interesting because like earlier in my life, I totally did not embrace that side of myself. Like my first name is technically, I'm like the typical Filipino. I've got four names, you know. So technically my first name is Gina Mariko, but nobody could say it right. They just use like Mariko, you know. And then only later in my life did I start embracing like my Japanese side and was like, forget it. Can we cuss in this podcast? A hundred percent. Yeah. I was like, fuck yeah. it. Let me like teach people how to say yeah. it. Yeah. You know, this is my chance. This is my company. Yeah. I want it to be named after myself. And I didn't want it to be something so boring like 
Gina Rosales events, you know? So um, I wanted it to be active and engaging. So Make It Mariko uh, was born. It was really just like this bittersweet life situation. And, and basically what happened when I started working at Google, the year that I started, um, I had a really close, my cousin who I basically grew up with, he died by suicide. And that like completely rocked my world. It, it rocked my entire family. And it just like changed my entire perspective on life. And like, it made me appreciate every single day and appreciate my life. And like the question as I was working at Google, and keep in mind, I just came back working nonprofit work where I was like working directly with like a lot of youth of color. And now I'm in this like tech bubble where everything is free and we're just like so privileged. So this like dichotomy. So privileged. In my head, I was like. It's uncomfortable for a person of color to be. You're just like, this isn't fair. Is This is how the other folks live. It was so uncomfortable. And then like even, you know, I would bring my parents there and then I would even try to bring like as many youth groups as I could to come to campus and just have free lunch just because I could. So I would max out that part of our policy. Um, And then even just living in San Francisco while gentrification was like insane. So getting on the shuttle every day was like an identity crisis for me. So constantly while I was working at Google, I was like having this, like, is this me? Like, who am I? And is this like the life that I want to leave? And if I were to die tomorrow, because death was this new reality in my head, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be proud of the life that I was living? Like, would I be proud of that obituary read at my funeral? And at the time, the answer was no. And so I knew in my head, like, all right, I need I need to make this a yes, but how? And it took me some time. So even after that, it took me like four years to finally get to a place where I was like, okay, I think I'm, I need to do something else. Otherwise, I'm going to bust. And I had realized events were what brought me to life, like while working at Google. So I'm so, I'm so thankful for that entire experience that I had working there, all the connections that I made and like learning how to scale because I applied all of that to to my company and they gave me like this like pillar to stand on. Well, one, I'm so sorry about your cousin. Um, Thank you. Thank you. That is incredibly, uh, yeah. That's incredibly sad, and I'm sorry. Um, my, it's funny that you said that. Is that my dad died about three years ago, and that has like had a major effect on like. It's crazy when you have that death in your life where you're like, oh, yes. oh, death is like, it's real. Like, it's very real. It's real, and it can happen to yeah. any, all and it, of it us. It does make like... you really reflect. Um, I mean, not always, but you know, at least I had a similar experience where you're just like, God, like, this is it. Like, I have this great job at this great place that I always thought was like creme de la creme. Um, And as a person, especially as a person of color, I think you, you get there and you're just like, God, like this, not only it, I mean, it's a blessing, right? Like it's a blessing in so many ways. And to be able to like, I feel you on the, you know, when you have to scale quickly, I actually worked at Airbnb for a bit in a, on a contract. And during that time was when they had that, um, they, they were trying to stop Airbnbs in San Francisco and people would come and people would come in. It was exactly that time. People would 
go in our yeah. into the building, the lobby area, and do protests. And I felt so like conflicted and like halfway like embarrassed. Like I'm on the wrong side of this shit. But also, yes. like, you know, like like proud of myself. And it's yep. just like this. It tears you up inside, you know. And I mean, it's funny when you were like what living through. I think when you grow up in in the Bay Area, and I and if you're not from the Bay Area. Anywhere you are from, if you've seen gentrification in general, mm. when you grow up in that area, it's such a, it's just the weirdest thing in the world. My cousin said something really uh, impactful that has always stayed with me. She's from San Francisco, born and raised, mm-hmm. still live there. She said, it's weird. It's like, I love San Francisco, but San Francisco don't love me back. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's so sad. But it's like, yes, like that's kind of how it feels. It's um, real. It really, really is. But I love the fact that you um, you said all the things that you learned in, in Google is yeah. what helped you set up. I feel like I, I felt similar in, 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 my, in the roles that I've had in tech that I always wanted, I'm a person who always wanted to be like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be an entrepreneur. But now that I'm like finally getting the chance to like really go on this journey, it makes like every lesson I learned in my job is like what sets you up to be ready for what you want to do. So I, I want to make sure my audience, like if you're, if you're listening to this and you're in a place where you're like, I want this and I want that. And I want this, like yeah. also trust that what is in front of you is a lesson to be learned. Everything, um, everything is learning yeah. and it's all like in, in its due time will happen. Right. Like, cause even mm-hmm. while I was at Google seven years, so um, my brother is, um, you know, an educator and activist and he always has been. And, you know, he's, like one of my biggest role models growing up. Like he taught me about hip hop. He taught me, got me into dance, which was like all these big things that helped define my identity. And so while I was working at Google, he would constantly be like getting on me about working for the man and would just like constantly be questioning me. And so I questioned myself, but I know that everything that I learned there was so critical and every single person I met. And also now that I'm in my business, like I have that to be like, yeah, I, I did that. And I managed that entire team and I have the chops to like do this other work where, which is like so timely, you know, like what, you know, I know today we're talking about imposter syndrome, but it's, it's sad that I needed to, I need to like have to name drop things like Google and self-driving cars in order for people to respect me as like a five foot young looking brown woman, like in this industry, like those are the things that I need to say in order to get respect. Yeah. And I think also, I think, and I don't know if this is, so I'm, I'm, I'm Guatemalan, but I think it's the same or similar, I think just, you know, first gen or even first, second gen when there's also like a pedestal, right. That like we grow up in terms of like, we have to make it worth it um, for our parents to struggle. And in the society we live in, like, especially specifically in the Bay, because in the Bay is where the huge tech companies are, the Facebooks, the Googles, the, you know, all the big ones are there. So I think in the Bay area specifically, it's like, that's Mm kind of like, I struggle with this because I'm also like, but it's important that we're there, right? <laughs> like, 
it's imp- it's extremely important yes. that we oh, yeah. also show up in those places although we have to like get ourselves in hard and it's difficult but it we we need we need black and brown people in there we need people of color in there we need our voices in definitely we we are necessary in all spaces and we are critical in all spaces and i think like for folks like me who you know at the time i was you know doubting myself and doubting my job and where i was at but i was also that voice um in those spaces advocating for things that were important and advocating for funding to go towards causes that i cared about advocating towards like getting funding for racial inequality or getting funding towards like suicide prevention like if you're not if your voice isn't there then you can't advocate for those resources so we're we're critical in all spaces you hear that i'm i'm talking to the audience <laughs> We need to be in all the spaces and we need your voice. So let's talk about imposter syndrome. I really want to hear what you have to say about imposter syndrome, how it's played the role and how it plays a role for specifically marginalized communities, people of color. So let's start with the basics. Um, Give me your, I guess, definition or like what's imposter syndrome to you? Yeah, to me, imposter syndrome is the feeling that you don't belong. The feeling that you don't belong in a certain space and that you are faking your existence in this space because you don't belong there. But it is different for people of color and marginalized communities. How how is it different? Yes, to an extent, like when you go to a new place, you feel new and newness is scary and it can be like fear inducing. What I think is different about imposter syndrome is because in certain spaces, we've systematically been left out. And so that is like a whole nother level of fear and anxiety because you just are either the first there or you feel like you don't belong because because you are the first one and, and maybe only only person that looks like you in the room. Which is extremely common, Um, like extremely common for folks who look like us. And it's like also I think that's like along with the the systematic systemic part of it is the like not feeling like you have power. So it's like I don't belong here, number one. And number two, I don't have power in this space, which is a feeling. And the feeling is very real, um, but it's definitely something that we need to overcome and see beyond. Yeah. And you know what? I also, I think because we are typically, there's very few people of color, at least in the spaces we've worked at and big, big corporations and all that. But also like, I always had a hard time trusting people because like, because there was no people of color, no, nobody looked like me. Like swear to God, if I saw one, you know, if I met one person of color, I was like, or folks, you know, homies. Like, automatic over? homies, right? Automatic. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and the thing is when pers- personal growth, especially in your work, professional growth, and just your growth in general at work, it's such a vulnerable thing anyway, right? Like regardless of how you feel, but when you are uh, a person of color in a space that's, you know, everyone's white, it's hard to trust your manager. It's hard, even harder 
to trust your coworkers. Like you're when you fuck up or when if you're vulnerable, it's like even more scary because it's hard. You don't fit in to begin with just off based off looks, period, you know? Yeah. And then there's like the whole everything else that goes about it. So I feel like trust is such a hard part too, because if you don't trust the folks you work with, and of course it'll come with time, but it, it I, at least for me, it was really hard for me to really gain trust mm-hmm. with um, my manager who ended up being one of my like huge mentors. But it, I think it took a lot of time just to get over that and trust folks uh, and build very trust. Much, very much so. Yeah. And it's like about gaining the trust to just be who you are. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as people of color, just like in the nature of some of our cultures, mm-hmm. we're a little bit louder, mm-hmm. we're a little bit crazier, you know, like that just the kind of things that are normal to us aren't necessarily normal in like American white culture, you know, and exactly. um, feeling, getting the trust in your team and your managers to be your authentic self in that workspace is like what, what we fought for. And I'm really proud actually of how I navigated my time at Google. And I think it kind of even got to this point where I kind of saw it as a game. So I, I worked in recruiting first. That was like my first job at Google. And then I moved on and I became the first administrative business partner for the self-driving car team. So this was like a big deal team. I was also the um, EA for this like kick-ass woman named Megan Smith, who went on to be the CTO of the White House, like after um, she was my boss. Like I helped her transition to the White House. Yeah, she's a G. Um, Girl, you got some connections. Yeah, she's amazing. I was in this job and here I was, this like little Filipino girl coming into this startup of all of these like mostly white software engineers and like tech people. And I kind of embraced it and was just like, F it. If I'm going to be here, I'm going to make it fun and I'm going to be myself and I'm going to play around. And so I would basically just like play around and do my own thing. Like when birthdays, like, you know, typically admins would like celebrate people's birthdays and stuff, gets a cupcake or whatever. Nah, I would like go behind the person whose desk, birthday it was with a megaphone and I would turn on the police siren and announce over the entire floor that it was their birthday. (laughs) I would like play pranks on my VP on his birthday in the office. Like we did a balloon drop one day on him. I got the self, I got the self-driving car to like self-drive in our building to like a a room he was having a meeting in. And then we like saying happy birthday. I would just mess around like that um, all the time. I'll never forget the day I was um, in the Google cafeteria and me and this other Chinese girl that I worked with were going to lunch together. And we saw that the menu that day was crab, straight up like crab legs. And we were just like, is this real? Like this is, I can have as much crab as I want right now. (laughs) And so we legit, just got like the fattest plate of crab legs and got a plate of white rice. And then I even asked the the Google um, cafe people like, do y'all have any vinegar? 
<laughs> and they were like, what kind of vinegar? I was like, I don't care, like white vinegar, red vinegar. They're like, just on its own. And I was like, yeah, like, can you just put it in a little bowl? <laughs> and then we just went to yeah. town on eating with our hands, rice, yeah. vinegar, and crab legs. And I think everyone was looking at us and we were just like, I don't even give a fuck. This is free. <laughs> All you can eat fucking crab legs for free? And that is so funny. So it was just like things like that where when you're in a space and you're feeling like you don't belong, it's because you feel like in order to belong, you have to act like everyone else. And if everyone else in the space is white and you're not, then it makes you feel like I can't be myself. And so like what I had to unlearn was to be like, nah, I'm... I might be like this way and they're not like me, but I'm going to be a hundred percent me right now. And if they don't like it, that's too bad. But what I experienced at Google, which I'm so thankful is that people embraced me and they appreciated that I was just like unapologetic about myself. And they actually saw that as culture building. And so people trusted me and they liked that. And so by the time I was like five years in, I was like running a lot of our culture related stuff because it was about yeah. fun and it was just about yeah. being different. And that's how I used that to actually leverage starting my company because I had already built so much like credibility in the company and like institutional knowledge. I was about to quit. And instead of letting me quit, they let me go part time. That's awesome. And so, yeah. <laughs> so I basically went part time. Um, took on this new role of like running marketing events and then started my company. And I did that for two years until it got to the point where my company was thriving and I had to make a decision. And so ended up quitting and like just saying, I'm going to go all in with Make It Mariko. But thankfully, um, my clients at, at Google X still saw like my like you know skills. And so they actually ended up hiring me as a contractor. So I basically turned my employment into one of my biggest clients and just they became a client. Wow, that's such a good story. Tell me, was there a moment for you where you were like, fuck it, I'm going to be myself? Like, did you have that fear when you walked in or were you your total self when you got there? How did that go? Because I know for me, just speaking from a person who's worked in tech, like, it it was a process for me. Like I always, I, I had this thing with titles and I was like, for a while I was a coordinator and, I was, and I'm sure other folks, you know, everybody feels this in some way, but like I, I put blocks on myself um, for many, many reasons. And it was, for me, there was like a time where I was like, no, fuck this. Like I'm going to be myself. Like that's it, y'all. Like I've had enough. You guys suck. You guys suck. Like I could be myself. Like, you get to act like this, and I you get to act like that. I get to be my whole self. Um, was there were there moments or times you remember, um, or yeah. situations where you felt like those were the moments that really helped you be able to open up and just say like fuck it, you know? It was definitely a process. Like it wasn't one moment, and I think it was like this process of me. When I when I gamified it, when I turned it into a game of like, ooh, how much of myself can I be at work without getting fired? 
basically. <laughs> and when I thought about it that way, it took the pressure off. And so I kind of just experimented here and there with little things. Like um, I remember one day I was like, it's Easter. I want to do something fun. I'm going to do an Easter egg hunt. And so like I went and just filled like a hundred Easter eggs and hid them around the office in people's cubicles and stuff. And like sent an email to the whole department and was like, happy Easter, surprise Easter egg hunt, find three eggs in your cube. And I just started playing around with things that I thought would be fun. And people embraced that. And people would like reply to me and be like, oh my God, this was like the funnest day ever. <laughs> like, it, it just, like manager saying like, thanks for doing that and, and recognizing it. Um, so thankfully, I was in a space where when I played around and mm -hmm. experimented, it was celebrated. Yeah. You know, when I like, um, I had an idea they wanted to celebrate at the self-driving car team. Like one time they wanted to celebrate, like the new garage had just gotten remodeled. Right. And they wanted to celebrate. They're like, do something. I was like, okay, like, what can I do? And I was like, I want to throw a roller disco in the new garage and like, <laughs> and had to convince like the garage manager to like, let me bring a bunch of roller skates in his, in his newly paved garage. But like, eventually they were down and through oh. a roller disco and I hired my all my local vendors that I knew from San Francisco that was really big for me like always hiring my POC folks always hiring Same. local folks Same. and getting them that Google money and I was proud of that and then everyone loved the event so like little by little as I started like doing what I wanted to do and it didn't get shut down and I was in a space that allowed me to embrace myself like it gave me confidence and then I just like kept going. I love that. And I think that that exact, I don't want to call it strategy, but it is a strategy of like gamifying it. Mm -hmm. I think that can be a hundred percent used in the digital space, in any space that you are in and want to make an impact. And like for the audience, I hope like what I took away from this is like cat why don't you just fucking play and play with being yourself, right? Like I, for me and my audience, my audi audience is a mix of content creators, um, folks who really want to start businesses. Some of them already have them, but like are not playing big, you know, and other folks mm -hmm. are really wanting to go off and do their own thing. So I really want you guys to take away right now what I took away, which is why don't we just show up as ourselves and just play, just show up, yeah. see, see what you like, see what response you get, see what your audience wants, play around and see the impact that you can have when you're just playing, like when you're just yeah. being yourself. Take the, take the pressure off and allow little pieces of yourself to come through because everyone's comfortability is different. Like I didn't yeah. show up at Google with a giant megaphone and just start yelling at people. Like, nah, it took me time to get there, to feel comfortable yeah. in myself and that like knowing that I'm an asset so that I can do, be myself without fear of like getting fired. You know what I mean? So I had to grow, grow to that space. But yeah, the more I played around with it and just experimented with things and like always focusing on like relationship building. Because like 
I was so focused on like being people centric when I was there. So I had such good relationships. So then when I played around, like people trusted me, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, I was just fucking around just because like, no, I wanted to make it, make it fun. I absolutely love that. And I feel like we can all take a book from your page there. But even like myself, I'm like, oh, why don't I just see it like that? And just like have fun instead of putting the pressure on myself for something to have to be like the right way or perfect or whatever the case is, you know, here with your life and business experience, what do you have to say to the brown girl who has started a small business, wants to go harder, but is feeling imposter syndrome, feeling unworthy, feeling like they don't have what it takes, feeling like they could never do what you are doing. Yeah. And it's like, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever stop being that little brown girl. And it's so funny because you feel like to overcome it, you have to like become beyond, but I'm, I'm not going to grow anymore. I'm going to be five foot for the rest of my life. I'm going to be a little brown girl, like for the rest of my life. So part of my advice, like when I talk to young girls is to like embrace that, like instead of seeing our like brownness as a, you know, a flaw, but seeing the beauty in that and seeing the beauty in our cultures that made us these like energetic mm-hmm. balls of excitement and community mm-hmm. and like family and like warmth and energy. Like these are beautiful things that come from a lot of brown cultures, like yeah. being Filipino or being Latinx. Like we have a lot of energy and people in these spaces want to feel that energy. Yeah. And if we even let them see a little piece of it, like we might be embraced or we might be turned off. And if they mm-hmm. are turned off by that, then we immediately know what spaces we don't need to be in anymore. Yes. And then we look for a new space to be in. And yes. like when I talk to young girls, cause I know that like decolonization is like a big thing right now. Everyone's trying to decolonize. Everyone's trying to unlearn a lot of things that we have been taught around white supremacy and capitalism, like things that we've internalized that like brown is ugly. Like we don't want to be brown, you know? So when I talk to these young girls who are about decolonization, I say like, look, overcoming imposter syndrome like is decolonization because in order to overcome it, we have to first recognize that these spaces were not built for us. Like they were not designed by brown women. Mm -hmm. They were not designed by women even. Mm -hmm. And so in that nature, they weren't designed for us. So of course, like they're not necessarily, you know, people like us aren't, aren't welcome. But once we, it's not even that we're not welcome, but just that like, it wasn't designed for us. Like, so once we're there, once we recognize that, then we re- can recognize why we feel like imposters in the space because it yeah. wasn't it wasn't designed for you. It doesn't mean you're not welcome. It doesn't mean yeah. that you belong. You hella belong in those spaces. Yeah. But it just means that you need to carve a space that looks like you and show those people what that space is going to look like because they don't know. You have to tell them. Yep. And I mm-hmm. promise, I 100% promise, if you're in a space that's open, that they will embrace that energy. And if they don't, like I said, now it's time to leave and find a new space. A hundred percent. And, you know, talking to my audience here, I feel like 
I think online. So a lot of my, my, a lot of my audience is in the digital space because sometimes we get into whether it's like a workshop or whether it's like this or whether it's that and we show up and if every, you know, if it's clear right off the bat, Mm. if we kind of fit into here or not, or if these are our people or if they're not our people. And I love that you said, look, you might find a space where that's not where you belong. Yeah. Then you you create a new space. You bring, like you talk about the things that are important to you because your message as a black woman, your message as a brown woman, like we have to share our message. And when we share our message, we find our people. We yeah. find our audience. Yeah. We, find, we find the spaces that are for us. And that's when we can thrive. Right. Totally. Like that's when we were like, oh shit, I belong here. I could be myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And we'd also, it's also surprising. It can be surprising who your people are because once you start being yourself and people can see what you're about, these people that you might not even think are your people were like in the sense of like when I was working at Google was like these like white engineers, but they became my people. Like once I opens up, yeah, once you open up and you just like show them who you are, then they can also, you're giving them the opportunity to embrace you and then Mm -hmm. they can also become your people. And a lot of these folks were some of my biggest supporters that like, I would never just like walk down a street and be like, that's going to be my friend. But like now they can be your friends, you know? Yeah. And it's not like they always knew. I definitely had moments when I was in tech and when I was in the spaces where I didn't feel like I belonged and where I felt like, you know, like I remember the day that Philando Castile was murdered and I found out on the Google shuttle and I got into work and I was just like a ball of tears. And I felt like nobody else was really feeling that way in the building. So I felt really alone. And it wasn't until I got back to my desk with my my black coworker who sits next to me and we cried together. Um, and that's a real situation. Like things like that are going to happen. It's not going to be perfect. But now it's also an opportunity for you to speak up and be like, hey, y'all, this is happening right now. And I'm really upset yeah. about it. And I want everyone else to also be upset about it with me. Yeah. Yeah. And to voice it and to say, like, this is important to me and it should be important to everybody. No, it's so, so true. It's funny that you say that because I had this, there were many moments in my career where I'm like, we all walking around like it's a normal ass day or what? I know, yes. Like even when I'm in the industry now, right? And I'm like, I consider myself a professional. I've been doing this a long time. I'm doing big things. It's continually will happen. Like even after you are in your highest energy and power, people are still going to try to put you down. Like I've, I don't think other men will ever understand um, being like, I planned a wedding once and I was like the wedding planner. I planned the entire thing. And like a white man came up to me in the wedding and tapped me on my head and said, you're so cute. Oh, my God. During the wedding. And I was mortified. I and like wanted to like punch him in the face, but obviously was not going to. So walked away or like even in spaces where like 
I, I planned like the Google search holiday party. Like this is like search, right? This is the biggest team, like 5,000 people. Like I'm planning like complex logistics and I've got men, you know, at the venue coming to me and talking to me saying like, listen, sweetie, listen, sweetheart, like talking to me. So this is just like how it is living in patriarchy. (laughs) And so it's not going to end, but what does get better is that you are now more in your power and I'm finding that it's easier for me to actually speak up in the moment and because like earlier on like when that man tapped me on my head I think that was maybe my first year in business and so I I didn't have the strength to say something I walked away but now where I'm at now is I can I feel it and I see it when it happens and I'm able to respond in the moment um, when it happens and at least say my piece so that I can say like, that's not okay. The way you're talking to me right now. And then I'm strong. And then I cry later. <laughs> Cause I still like want to cry. I I'm like, feel you. You're not, you're not going to get my tears. I'm going to give my tears later to yeah. my husband. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so true. Oh, that is, ugh. That is mortifying. That 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 makes me really upset. It uh, does, and this uh, is all part of like what contributes to us feeling like we don't belong is because we're constantly getting treated like we're less than, mm-hmm. and it's a reality. But we'll get we get stronger, and I think it's important for women too, and like just anyone, anyone who's feeling this way, don't be don't get mad at yourself, you know, because mm-hmm. it's also easy for us to like punish ourselves but it takes time like it takes time to get to a place and it's hard like it's hard to deal with that shit so be gentle be kind to yourself give yourself a break and don't be because I know that feeling of you're like oh I should have I should have I should have I should have done this you know next time this happens like it's like that sex in the city moment. Like yeah. when I be big, I already know what I'm going to say to him. <laughs> right. Like you have your, Charlotte. I'm a sex in the city nerdy. Ash. <laughs> like when I, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to say. Curse the day you were born. Yeah. So, you know, it's fine. Like I get it. Then next time you have your statement ready, but, <laughs> but we got to be, We got to be patient with ourselves and understand that we're growing, like we're growing and we're growing and we're never going to stop growing. So like if you're listening to this and whatever phase you are in your kind of entrepreneurial journey or your professional journey, whatever that looks like for you, like it's a process like, and we're not always going to be, you know, we're not always going to be ready for the shit that we have to deal with sometimes. And that's okay. Um, we'll, we'll take it one step at a time. We'll learn. And I promise you in a couple of years, you're going to be like, that shit is not going to ever happen to me again. Or the next time that shit happens, I'm going to like, it is, it's a hundred percent not going to be okay. And I'll, I'll voice that, but it's such a beautiful thing. I love that you are creating this space for bad ass Filipinas because I grew up with a lot of Filipino people around me. I'm just excited about this because I know so many badass women who really yeah. use 
this type of like membership, this type of program, this type of sisterhood, really, right? Yes. Like it's people who are, who can understand you and you feel comfortable. And I just, I don't know when, when you came out with this, I was like, yes, this is so badass and it's so needed um, in, in so many ways. So tell Thank us about you. it. Tell us about what you're doing. We just need women of color communities in general, mm-hmm. and they're very critical because it is a very unique space and experience. Like this whole entire episode, we've been talking about the unique experience of being like even just a person of color in spaces. And it was born out of me feeling like I didn't have like a tribe. Like I knew very few, I knew actually like maybe three Pinai entrepreneurs that I could reach out to and actually get mentorship from Mm -hmm. who gave me the courage to start my own business because I felt like being an entrepreneur wasn't for me. Again, like I didn't feel like it was for me. I didn't see people like me in this space. I thought it was for white men. Raising money was like scary. And so I didn't, you know, have that tribe. Once I started um, our Filipino night market, the Undiscovered SF, we started finding all these beautiful Pinay entrepreneurs. And I was just like, where have y'all been at? And can we just all have lunch? Like literally that was like my first, my first thought was like, Oh, can we just like plan a happy hour? And that's how it started was us trying to plan a happy hour, but it didn't happen because we were all so busy. And then, so eventually I got together my like crew of Pinais who I trusted and brought in some new folks that I was introduced to. And we were basically like, fuck the happy hour. Let's just do a conference and let's just go big And so that's how the first summit was born was us really just like, let's make a list of all the Pinai entrepreneurs that we know. And so just earlier this year, we actually rebranded to Pinaista and like expanded the community to be more than just entrepreneurs because we saw that hella Pinais were um, drawn to our programs and our events and they weren't just traditional entrepreneurs. Like some of them were just like creatives or like nonprofit people. And so we were like, all right, all those folks are welcome and we want them to feel welcome. So now let's just officially change our name to welcome them. So now it's just more about like penis and the hustle. And a hustle could be a traditional business, a non-traditional business, a movement, um, your art, education. And so it's just like anyone who wants to like create change and and be like an agent of change in their lives and their community. We want to help them. And so now we have, you know, we have our annual summit. Um, We're starting to build out a membership program, which is going to launch later this month, which I'm so, I'm so freaking stoked for this membership program because we're going to like change the game about what it, what it's like to create a community during COVID. We're going to create like a virtual office space, which I'm so excited about and lifting up Pinais who have established workshops already so that we can like push those and like get them into bigger spaces that aren't even just Pinai centered. Because I tell folks like the problem with a lot of like women is because we were taught to see each other as enemies, right? Like as competition. And so one of my mentors, um, Dr. Allison Tintianko Kubalis, she's like, Pinai leader in our space. Um, her whole prag like approach is about Pinaiism. 
And Pinaiism is really about like what we're about is like creating this like radical sisterhood of like, how can we just be like uber supportive for each other and be there for each other as sisters and support each other? Because we often are like, well, I'm Pinai and I'm doing jewelry. Well, I'm also Pinai and doing jewelry. But it's like, okay, well, we don't need to be competitors. We can be we can be in the same space and support each other. And we don't have to live under scarcity mentality. Like let's be about abundance mentality and we can expand our network and sell to everyone. Like it doesn't need to just be about selling to your own people, but how can we like be even broader? So there's space for all of us. Right. So that's what we're about is like allowing us to see each other as sisters, to support each other in our work and just like, be about living this radical sisterhood on a regular basis. No, it's it's really a beautiful thing. It is. And it's needed. I just feel like when I when you came out especially with like the membership and stuff, I was like it's just needed. There are such talented, smart, like dope Filipino women in my life. So I'm a, I'm a part of different memberships and I am actually just a huge fan of them. Like I just feel like to create a space where you can just feel comfortable and talk and be open and you don't have to be like experienced in this or experienced in that. You can just like come yes, as you are. We can, we're all like yeah. learning. Um, yeah. So I'm a we're fan all learning. of memberships in general. And um, so when you, you know, when you came out with like telling me about the membership and I saw it on, um, I forget, I'm, I'm sure it was on Instagram. It was just a beautiful thing. And that's why I was really also excited to get you on because I know um, I also have, uh, listeners who are, you know, they're Pinay's. So like, I wanted them to know who you are one. Um, and number two, know that like, there are, there is a sisterhood for you. Like there's sisterhoods for us everywhere. And I just, I love that you're creating this space. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And my, my vision too, is like, yes, we're creating this amazing sisterhood for Pinay's and like, yes, that's that we will be there. But I also see this like really amazing opportunity for women of color mm-hmm. communities to come together for bigger change too, because I, there's a lot of beautiful Latinx groups. There's like, um, black women who yeah. code, like there are all these like other smaller communities of women of color. And I would love mm-hmm. to eventually get to a place where like, those communities are thriving individually, but then now how do we get the leaders of those communities together for a separate event so that we can build cross-functionally and like support each other's movements? Because when all women of color are thriving, like that's just good good for for everyone, you know? Everybody. It's so, so true. Ah, This conversation was so beautiful. Okay. I have one more question for you. Um, One more question. So the, name of the podcast is follow that fear. So what is a fear that you recently followed? So something that's like really timely right now with like our super digital culture is this whole like call out culture thing. And I think like one of my biggest fears right now is um, this fear of being called out because I have been called out before for things that I have done, things that I have said online um, because we're all, all learning and all not perfect. And so it's very, and this is what I tell a lot of younger folks too, who are just starting their own movements is you're gonna get called out. And what the focus needs to be now too, is about not just calling people out, but calling them in so that we can help them be better. 
And as the person on the other side of getting called out, you you can't not do something because you're afraid of getting called out. You got to just do it and do your best. And if you get called out, like listen to it and like take it to heart and be open to it, but don't ever let it stop you and make you quit. And I see a lot of people that are like, oh my God, they just like called me this and they called me that. Like, I want to cancel my event or I'm not going to do this anymore. No, like, don't let that fear stop you from doing your thing because like, it's just a critique, you know? And even if the critique is a hundred percent right, then just learn how to get better, you know, (laughs) so that you can like address it. It doesn't mean stop what you're doing. It just means like, get better. Oh, that's so, so, so true. I love that you said, it's not call out. It's let's call in. Let's call in. Yeah. How do we, if, if you're really about change, if you're really, really about change happening, then you also need to think about like, how are you helping create change by just yeah. like canceling someone? Is canceling someone going to mm-hmm. create change? No. Like, I mean, it, it will just like get them to like stop. But what you really want people, what you're really asking people to do is to use their platform Mm -hmm. in a way that is more conducive towards Mm -hmm. like things that are important. So like thinking about how we also call people in to be better is is really important too. Like we can't just cancel. We can't stop. We have to stop canceling each other. Let's not call out. Let's call in. I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, I think that's it. Gina, this is so great. This was just (laughs) such a good conversation. And I know for sure that my audience is going to take so much away. Thanks so much for having me and like, thank you for doing what you do. If you're interested in learning more about Pinaista, Pinaista is a nonprofit community collective of Pinays with a mission to build sisterhood in the hustle. Pinaista now has a membership program, which I recommend any Filipino ex to check out. I'm so passionate and excited about women who are creating spaces specifically for people of color and for women of color. So when I heard about what Gina was doing, I was so pumped and had to have her on the show. So go check it out if you are interested. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Here are some takeaways from my conversation with Gina. Number one, women of color belong in all spaces. Our voices are needed everywhere. So wherever you are, know that your voice is important and you are needed. Number two, when we feel imposter syndrome, when we're in a new place and we feel like we can't be ourselves, it's even worse when nobody looks like us. And what that does is it makes us feel like we have to act like everyone else and that doesn't feel authentic to us. So we have to unlearn this and be 100% ourselves unapologetically, even if it's one step at a time. Number four, gamify it. Make it a game. Play to see how much of yourself you can be, whether it's with your audience or at work, wherever it is, gamify it. Number four, if you are in a new space and people are open, embrace that and be yourself. And if you're not in a space where you're comfortable to do that, find a new space. Number five, even when you are at your highest energy and power, people will still try to push you down. Don't let that stop you from moving forward. 
Number six, I loved her point of view on call out culture. If we really want change, let's call in people versus call out people. All right, y'all, I just loved this conversation and I'm gonna leave you guys with a quote that Gina said that I really, really loved. Overcoming imposter syndrome is decolonization. These spaces were not designed for us, but remember that we hella belong. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, please take a screenshot or leave a review on iTunes and make sure to tag myself and Gina. Gina on Instagram is at Gina, G-I-N-A-M-A-R-I-K-O. Thank you so much for listening today. I don't take your time for granted and I'm just so grateful for you being here. All right, guys, have a good one. Keep following that fear and do you. Bye.